This morning, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going we're gonna to teach through one of our values where uh, we're a value-driven church where we have six different values where we're going to look at uh, you know, one of them this morning. And they're, they're things that shape the culture of Susquehanna Valley Church. Um, and this one particular is, is one that fits with, a, with a, a service where we're baptizing some children. And it's a, it's a, uh, a value that we have called, uh, we have a passion and an obligation for the next generation that we have a passion and an obligation for the next generation, that we don't want to be a church that does what God wants us to do for one generation. We don't want it to end with us. We don't want it to stop here. Uh, we, we want after us for there to be a church here that's growing, that's, that's vibrant in the community, that's seeing people worship Jesus Christ. We want younger people up here doing things that God wants them to do. And so we want there to be a church after us because we're not a church for one generation. We're a church for Jesus Christ, which means we always have to be looking at the next generation and how we can raise them up in a way where they have an opportunity to love and follow after Jesus Christ themselves. Um, I was thinking about that just yesterday. I was at a, a senior pastor's conference for our denomination, the EFCA, and uh, re really the whole point was to just gather together as senior pastors and pray for our denomination, pray for our congregations, pray for the people that we're trying to reach. And, and it was based on this idea of, of one, one heart, or sorry, one God, we serve one God, and we have one people that in Christ we're united, and we have one voice, and we have one heart. And this idea is based off of Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 goes on to teach that this idea is that we're building, we're sort of building this body. The church, the church is this building of people that God uses to impact the world, and he uses this analogy of building a structure by bringing people to faith and raising them to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what God wants for them in life. Singing about that because that connects with what my week was this past week where I took some time away and went up to a cabin that uh, my family is building in upstate Pennsylvania. And uh, as the kids, I've got two boys, if you don't, if you don't know uh, my family situation, i got a seven-year-old and 10-year-old, and my wife and I were up there. And uh, this was really the first time that the kids wanted to help and help meant help. Because uh, most of the time when kids, you know, want to help, it means frustration, it means annoyance, it means slow down, it means, you know, things don't go the way that you want. And, uh, and, and this time, help actually meant some help. And, uh, and so we were putting a loft floor in the cabin specifically for their beds. And, and at first, I just had them, like, carrying some boards and some different things. And, and then after a little while, they started to get bored with just carrying boards. Huh, that's a, that's a dad joke for you there. Um, and, uh, and they wanted to do a little bit more, but a little bit more was going to impact the way the end product of the cabin looked. It wasn't going to look as precise. It wasn't going to look as finished. As you look down the row of boards, we're going to be a little bit off and a little bit skewed, and I knew that. And I had this moment where I was sitting back, and I've got two little boys looking at power tools. And they're saying, Dad, can I? And I'm seeing hospital bills, and I'm seeing blood, and I'm seeing things not looking the way they want. But I'm also seeing an opportunity to, to realize that, you know, as I let them have the tools, as I teach them through this process, it might not go exactly as I plan, 
but they're going to have memories. They're going to learn. They're going to have a relationship that's built. And so, so we sort of changed speeds and changed the way that we did it and, and handed tools over to them and showed them how to, how to use it. And, 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 and you look, and it actually it looks pretty good. It, it looks pretty good. Um, but it was just this cool moment to be able to say, this is, this is what we need to do as a church. Like we need to be a church that's looking to, to the next generation to say that as we hand things over to them over the years, that it's not always gonna go the way that we want. It's gonna be a little bit rough and, and, and that's not the point. The point is that we get them involved, that our church is their church. And so we don't have a church for one generation. We have a church for generations because we keep raising up the next generation because we have a passion and an obligation for the next generation. So what we did with, with the sermon, the sermon is really a whole staff team sermon. We gave, I gave the staff homework for a staff meeting and I said, next week you've got, you've got two weeks and uh, come back and I want you to take this value, passion and obligation for the next generation. I want you to have a passage of scripture where you see this and I want you to have a concept that's a challenge for us as a staff for how we can be sure that we're raising up a generation where they're gonna take the, they're gonna take the impact driver, they're gonna take you the circular saw, they're gonna take the, the boards and they're gonna build it the way that God wants them to build it. So, so let's just kind of roll through that. We'll start with Rachel, who's our kids' ministry director. Um, and and she, she saw in the parable of the sower, so you've got the parable of the sower. We just got out of our parable series, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to look through the way that Christ teaches there as he's revealing things to us. Um, the parable of the sower is about how the word of God, is, it, it lands on our hearts. And as it lands on different hearts, it lands on different types of, of soil, so to speak. And some of the soil is too rocky and, and the seeds don't get down. And some of it's, you know, there's weeds and it chokes it out. And, and so um, Rachel, as she looked at that, her concept was, was this, that we can't change kids, but we can manage the soil they grow in. We can't change the kids, right? We can't control uh, what a kid's gonna do and what they're gonna decide, but we can manage the soil they grow in. Um, and, and she shared with us a statistic that was just mind-blowing to me. 78% of people who say they have no religion grew up in church. 78% of people right now who would say they have no religion grew up attending church. And from her perspective, that means they grew up in kids' ministry. And so as she looked at the parable of the sower and put it kind of side by side with that 78% grew up in, in kids' ministry. What we walked away with was, was that when we plant seeds, when we throw the seed, we can't do it in a way that's shallow. We've got to try to get the word of God to, to their heart. We've got to help them to understand that this is not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. It's not just here's some facts, it's here's an opportunity to connect with who God is. Um, right before COVID hit, we, we did some stuff with Southside Elementary, and we're looking forward to doing that again in the fall, just to be a, a church with a voice in the community. And um, one of the things that I'll never forget there was we had a group of people serving at their Mayfair, and it was just incredible. Like, you guys were awesome at serving at different games and, and different things with the kids. But the one thing I'll never forget is, is one of our deacons, James, covered in cotton candy strands all over him as he'd been making cotton candy for kids all day long in that little, with a little, like, paper cone and, and twirling around. He's just covered in the stuff at the end of it. And, and uh, Rachel, she was talking about this. She said that, look, we can't, can't give our kids cotton candy faith. 
where it just dissolves. It's just shallow. It's just superficial. It's just, it's just nice stuff. Look, they're, they're going to grow up and be challenged. And they're going to have tough questions about, like, well, if God is real, then what happens? What, what, what do I do with this circumstance in my life? And so we've got to be able to teach them. We've got to be able to model for them what, what real, genuine faith looks like. She talked about how plants, plants that when we plant the seeds, that sometimes the thorns grow up, the weeds grow up, and they choke it out. And, and so what is that? And from her perspective, and this, this one, like, I, I sat back and I just listened to as somebody who is a dad. And I was like, I gotta be careful with this one. She said that, that oftentimes our kids' lives are too busy and just time chokes out the opportunity for God's word to sink into their life. Like, wow. Because if our kids' lives are too busy, where do they get that from? Me. From mom and dad, and for us to be able to say that our kids need to see that the most important thing in our lives is God. And what better way, what more authentic way for us to demonstrate that by letting God have his first place in our life, in our time, by letting it be something where we give him a priority there. See, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says this it says, Start your children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, we look at a proverb like that. I just want to clarify. I love the book of Proverbs. We look at Proverbs, and sometimes we say, well, is, that, is that a guarantee? Is that a promise? Well, no, it's a probability. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's, it's saying, if you do this, the odds are in your favor. It's probably going to work out. You know, If you go to bed early, and, 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 or you wake up early, and you work hard, you're probably going to do well in life. Those are probabilities. So we've got a probability here. But the focus here is on that first probability word. Start your children off on the way they should go. The idea is that you train them, that this is something that you are diligent to make sure that, that we, we set an example for how they should live and how, how they should operate in life and how God should be most important to them. Even Deb, our financial secretary, chimed in with this too, where in Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that what our kids see? A passion in us for Jesus Christ. A passion that he gets most important, that we live authentically as he called us to. And, and so, so then we'll jump to another staff thought where, where Dawn, uh, Dawn talks about this idea of, of authenticity. That we would be people who, who really there's only one version of us. Let there only be one version of you. I love Dawn's perspective on this because Dawn raised, she's got two, two boys that just, two twin boys. First of all, if you have twins and they make it past the age of five, you did something right. Like if you're still walking around and you're sane at that point and you have more than one kid at the same time, I, I have all the respect in the world for you. Um, that's just, I, like just keeping them apart is amazing. I look at those two boys and I, I have to, I'm like, can you wear name tags? That would be, that'd be good. But she's got this mentality where she's, she's raised these boys and, and she sees there's something incredibly powerful about this concept. Let there be only one version of you that we, would, we wouldn't be a people who act one way in church and act another way outside because what does that do for a child looking at us about, what does that teach them? We were talking about Proverbs 22 and what it means to train them up in the way they should go. And they see one thing over here and they see one thing over here. 
What does that demonstrate? What does that articulate to them that, oh, okay, that's how I should be. That I should be a person who's disingenuine just like, just like they were. See, the, the key with the next generation, and this is huge. If, if you look at the next generation, your mentality is they don't work hard, they don't do this, they don't do that. It doesn't make sense. Look, first of all, every generation has said that about the generation before that. That's just, you can study that out. Every generation has said that. But here, here's the key about this upcoming generation. They don't expect perfection, but they don't tolerate a lack of transparency. They don't expect perfection. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the, the, all the answers, but they do not tolerate a lack of transparency. If it looks inauthentic, they don't trust it, they don't want it, they're not gonna be around it. And so how does, it, how does that impact us? Well, let's not be a people who act like we've got it all together. The scripture talks about the idea of confessing our sins. About we're just we're people who are struggling on a journey here, and sometimes we slip and we fall, and it's not the end of the world, but we feel like it's the end of the world because we have this facade that we've got to keep it up that 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 we're perfect. Now transparency is difficult. It is. I'm not going to lie. To let people know that you actually struggle, that you don't have it all together, transparency is not easy. But I'll tell you what, authenticity is easier to maintain because you don't have to be two people. You have people who can actually love you. My wife and I, when we, uh, when we do pre-marriage counseling, we'll have couples over to our house, and um, especially when we, we had kids that were in the toddler age range. We'd have them over, and my wife would say, we gotta clean up, we gotta clean up. And I would say, no. <laughs> I want them to see what they're getting into. I want them to have a taste of what this is. Let the spaghetti on the wall. Let, let them see what that, let the diaper genie overflow. Let them see what life looks like. But there's this tendency between we gotta clean it up, we gotta make it look nice. And no, this is, this is what it is. You're gonna trip over a vacuum cleaner cord and you're gonna be mad because you stepped on a Lego and you hit your head on the wall. It's just, this is life, right? This is how it is. And, and you've gotta do that and not get upset at your spouse. <laughs> Look, this is how we live. We live like we gotta clean everything up so that people see a version of us that we, we think they'll be impressed with. Christianity is not about people being impressed with you. It's about people being impressed with the fact that God loves you despite what the mess in your house and your heart really looks like, despite the imperfection. Man, let, if you've got kids, if you've got grandkids, if you have an opportunity to be around kids, let them know your struggles. Let them have a window into your heart about your struggles in purity and your struggles in idolatry. I want my kids to know that it's not always easy to put God first in life. And that dad sometimes wants to invest in all his hobbies and, and fun things and, and, and it's hard to make sacrifice, but, but those hobbies don't satisfy me at the end of the day if I chase after them. We're, we're gonna start a, a sermon series on Ecclesiastes next week called Chasing because we chase after stuff in life as if it's gonna be the thing to make me, make, me, make me happy and satisfied. I want my kids to know that, that dad, dad struggles with that too. And what this does is it lets those kids turn into teens who struggle and doubt in a safe place. 
because they're going to struggle and doubt no matter what. They might as well be able to do it in a place where they're accepted and loved. Eric, uh, Eric, who does our community groups, uh, his thoughts are that we, we've got to, when we do this, when we, when we live this out, when we try to raise up this next generation, the impression we make should be intentional, not incidental. We've got to keep this at the forefront. This is not one of those things that just happens, right? This is something that we've got to be intentional and put intentionality behind it. And his, his text was Deuteronomy 6, where it says, these commandments that I, gave you, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now watch the intentionality here. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your households and on your gates. See, in other words, it should be two things. It should be regular enough that it's casual, that it's just simple to talk to your kids about faith, that it's simple to talk to your grandkids, your, your neighbor kids, whatever. It should be regular enough to be casual and it should be important enough to be remembered. That this is something that's important to me. He literally, he, he says, what's the text? Tie them as symbols on your hands. Like do, do something to remind you of the obligation, of the passion that we have for the next generation, that it would be important enough to be remembered. That I don't just drop my kids off back there and say, cool, Rachel's gonna teach them about Jesus. Is Rachel gonna walk with them on the road? Is Rachel gonna sit down with them at bedtime? No. But the scriptures call us to be a people who say, wherever we go, we're intentional about this. Because we're driving on the way here and, and my kid's thinking about a lacrosse tournament and, and, and I, see, I, see that, I see that idol. I see that desire that could creep up. It's my job as dad to say, but this is fun, but there's something more important to it. That, that God made us to be able to enjoy these things, but it's not the most important thing in life. We gotta look for opportunities. We gotta take them when they come. It's gotta be regular enough to be casual. It's gotta be important enough to be remembered. One of our other values is, is that we've got a rock solid dependence on God that everything we do is based on his word. Everything we do comes down to what he teaches and how, how he wants us to live. And, and Nick, in, in his thought on this passion obligation, kind of marries these two ideas together that we would provide a rock solid foundation on the word of God. Uh, two weeks ago, we baptized, uh, two, three weeks ago, we baptized a little guy named Jacob. And Jacob's favorite verse was uh, the story of the wise and the foolish builders. And I was like, that's mine. Good. I love that. This idea that we would have this rock solid foundation on God's word. That's what we want for our kids. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because as our culture moves further away from the idea that the Bible is true or that there is even anything that's true, this is a battle that we face to say, what really makes sense of life? If you look at the world around you, what really makes sense? You know, for me, like in my times of doubt, which I've had in my life, 
I always come back to this reality that I, I go, but at the end of the day, the world is still a broken mess. I still hurt at times. I see lots of people who are hurting. I see that the more selfish we are, the more that we hurt. And I see the Bible is the only answer to explain that stuff. And I see that the only solution for me and my pain is the love of God through Jesus Christ, that he would love me enough to die on the cross for me. And th this is the foundation. This is where we come back to. The word of God is gonna answer the deep struggles in our heart even as the culture drifts away from the idea of, of what truth is. And so we train up the next generation and, and, and our teaching is rooted and the word of God shapes and reshapes our views and our, our behaviors as we're anchored onto the word of God. Yesterday, one of my kids uh, asked me, uh, Dad, how does a coral reef stay where it is? I was like, well, clearly I know that offhand and I don't have to Google that. Kid probably goes down deep in the sand and he looks at me and he goes, maybe you should Google it, Dad. <laughs> okay. So I Google it. Come to find out a coral reef is actually a living animal. Did not know that. I did not. That, that was pretty cool. And a coral reef is this little animal that in its larval stage uh, ends up on a little rock or some, some hard surface on the bottom of the ocean. And that's what it latches onto. And then it grows, it feeds, and it multiplies. It becomes a big reef. Th this is what we do back there in kids' ministry. This is what I want you to do with, before your meals with your kids, with, with anybody that you have this chance to influence in the next generation. This is, this is what I want you to, I want you to help them be attached to the rock and let their faith grow in, in a way that allows them to become something that flourishes for the kingdom of God. But whatever we do in this, we've got to make sure that we do it in love. And, and so our staff member with the, with the, youngest child uh, is John Major, and John just has this adorable little girl, Laurel, who's actually sitting over there. Uh, she's been our best sermon listener today, just saying. Um, but uh, actually, she's probably sound asleep right now. But, um, yeah, so uh, he's got this perspective of looking at this adorable baby girl, and, and his was lead in love. Lead in love. I remember as a little kid, you might have me, heard me tell this story before. This, this story could have turned me away from Christianity in, in an instant if it wasn't for just God's grace. But I remember being in, in kids' ministry. It was an Awana club, and I was about five, six years old, and it was time to pray. And I just was curious. I thought, I wonder how many people were praying. And so I opened my eyes to see who was praying, right? And, and one of the leaders saw me pointed at me, and he pulled me aside, and he reamed me out about respecting God and what that looks like and how I, how I was just so disobedient. And I, don't, I just remember being in trouble. It could have pushed me away from God. There was no love, no love. I felt anything other than love in that moment. When we had our baptism a couple weeks ago, there was a little guy, uh, not a little guy, big guy, Nolan, um, who, who we baptized him, and then he got out of the baptismal and dove back in because <laughs> he wanted to be a silly salmon. I don't know what that means. Apparently, it's a viral thing or something. I love that we're a church that thought that was funny. 
I thought this kid expressing himself that way in a way that, that he, just, he just was excited and wanted to show it. I love that, that you guys didn't come up and complain about that being disrespectful or because we're leading in love. And we understand kids are gonna be kids and they've gotta have fun. If we're gonna love God and love people so we make disciples in the next generation, if we pull out that love people part, especially the love kids part, you can forget about the rest of it happening. It, it doesn't work like that. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, and it says, And you fathers, provoke, your, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of, of the Lord. That we would be people that nurture, that we would lead in love. Like we understand how adverse that culture is. And so, man, how, how I, I feel like every generation the temptations that the church, that the kids in the church face, the temptations are, are compounded. They're just multiplied. I mean, you think of the access they have, the expect to, to things that they shouldn't have, the, the, just the general opinion towards Christianity. This is not gonna be easy for kids to follow after Jesus Christ in this world. And, and so for us to look at that and say, man, we're, we're not gonna set up end-all, be-all behavior that if you don't do this, this, and this, I'm not gonna love you. We gotta love kids. We gotta love them in their journey, love them in their struggle. Not that their sin is okay, but we love them despite it. That we love them well. We've gotta demonstrate and guide them into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. As our student ministry director put it, that we would raise up a generation that gives him their all, not their sum. Gives him their all, not their sum. Because what do you really want for the next generation? What's our goal for the next, next group of kids that are coming up through this church? That they give some, God some of their time, some of their emotions, some of their affection, some of their love? Or do we want all? There's a story in Luke chapter seven where a, a woman comes to Jesus and she pours out this just incredibly expensive vial of perfume on Jesus just as a sign of love and and the disciples are looking at this and they're going, why, why would you? What a waste. We could have taken that. We could have given it. We could have sold it. Wow, what a waste. And Jesus says, this, this woman loved me. She gave her all. What do we want for kids? Do we want to see a generation that just says, Jesus is a part of my life? that he's a social component of my life, that he's a casual part of my life? Or do we wanna see kids who are sold out for Jesus Christ who, who say, you know what, I love him with my all. I love him when it's hard. I love him when it's difficult. I love him when it calls for sacrifice. And we don't get there without that being us. We don't, we don't raise sold out kids for Jesus Christ if we're not sold out ourselves. So the question is, are we the woman so in love with Jesus that we pour our all out at his feet? That's, that's what's at stake here. For us to say, we don't want to be a one generation church. We want to be a church that continues to follow after Jesus Christ. And so then my homework was this, is that we would release them before they're ready. You can go to just about any passage in Scripture where it talks about 
somebody following after God in the Old Testament, and, and there's a pretty solid chance somebody young's involved somewhere. Daniel does what he does in the scriptures as a teenager. The disciples are sent out probably in their teens or young 20s. Ruth was in her 20s. Esther was younger than that. Timothy's a pastor when he's a young man. David is king before most kids today have their first job. There's a mentality in the scriptures that says that we need to release them before they're ready. Jeremiah 1.6, Jeremiah is faced with this task that God has in front of him. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. That doesn't stop the rest of the book of Jeremiah from being written. That doesn't end the story of Jeremiah carrying the message to the nation of Israel that God's going to do what he's going to do. And so we release them before they're ready because releasing them is part of what makes them ready. Handing them the the impact driver, handing them the the screws is part of the process that makes them ready. And so we we, we look at that and we have to understand a couple things. That one, for us as a church, transition to the next generation is a necessary thing. That if we want this to keep going, sometime we've got we've to pass the baton. Two, we have to understand that we can't keep going with the old wineskins that we used to use. That if we're going to have a next generation that's excited and vibrant, that it's going to look different in the future than it does right now. I don't know what that looks like. I just know that though being open to the idea of, of change in the church, anything other than the teaching of the Word of God is something we've got to be okay with that songs are gonna sound different, that lights are gonna look different, that decorations are gonna look different, that programs are gonna look different. Why? Because they're not designed for us. They're designed for the next generation. We can't keep putting old wine or new wine in old wineskins. See, Jesus teaches that because as the wine ferments, it expands and it stretches out the container that the wine was in. And, and so then if you take this already stretched out wineskin and you pour in new wine and it goes to expand, it's just going to explode and you're going you're to waste it all. And so there's this, there's this concept of what Jesus is teaching where he's saying, look, we've gotta, we can't keep doing the same thing that we've always done. Yeah, same intention, same, same heart, same truth, but the vessel, the vessel has to be willing to change it. Look at the SVC update that we're going to have after second service today. We're going to talk about changing some of the building footprint within, within the walls that, that can help us to better carry out the ministry to the next generation because you can't keep putting new wine in old wineskins. Right? Third thing is that when we see God work through somebody young, when you see a kid baptized, understand that that's a reward that God lets you take part in. It's an answer to your prayers. It's an answer to, it's a response to, to the work that God's done through our workers and kids' ministry. It's a celebration of all of what we're doing in this value. When we see young Aiden and Olivia and John professing their faith, that's not mom and dad only. That, that's, that's a team of people saying we're following after Jesus Christ and we're doing this for this result to see kids Love Jesus Christ because we have a passion and an obligation for the next generation because one day this is all theirs and it's sooner than we think. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I love you and I praise you. I thank you for the people in my life who spoke truth into me, who loved me well, 
who allowed me to struggle out loud, who listened to my crazy ramblings as a, as a hormone-driven teenager who struggled in front of others and, and loved me anyway. Lord, I thank you for the church that you raised me in. A church that loved kids. God, I pray that this is our church. That as we do programs, we'd be excited about what's new and we'd be excited about an opportunity to see kids come to faith in you. That we'd hand over the, the baton, so to speak, in a way that lets this mission carry forward. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name, amen.